Gracious God, I thank you for this day. Uh, thank you that you woke us up this morning. Thank you that we have the gift of another day. Thank you for the sunshine, and thank you most of all for this community and for all the people in it. And thank you that you promised to show up in these places where we tell the truth about you and our world and ourselves, and that you promised to set us free in these places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Amen. Come on, sing it with me. Amen. 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 All right, give yourself a hand. All right. So how many of you all remember the last time I preached back in November? Yeah? Awesome, awesome. So if you were there, you maybe remember that I love getting amens when I preach. Do you remember that? So... Whenever I'm preaching in a new place, I always, almost always start off by way of introduction by saying that I love and welcome amens when I'm preaching. And then there's a lot of different, thank you, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of them is just I love when we get to sort of preach together. Um, I love when we sort of get to preach the sermon together, and it's sort of like preaching teamwork when we get to go back and forth and communicate in that certain sermonic language. Um, I love the energy it creates when y'all talk back to me during my sermon. In some ways, for me, it like makes preaching come alive. Amen? Amen. amen. And, and when I was thinking this week about, um, spoiler alert, amen, that's what we're going to be talking about, but when I was thinking about amen earlier this week, I was thinking, I don't know if it's been your experience, but it's been my experience when I've prayed with toddlers and like little kids that amen is their favorite part of the prayer. Like, I don't know if you've had that experience, but, like, a lot of times, like, not really sure what's going on in the rest of the prayer, like, kind of mumble through, like, not really sure what all those big words mean, all that stuff. But, like, when they say amen, it's like a big, hearty, like, amen. So I've, I, I love that. Um, so amen? But, like, also I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, what exactly does amen mean? Like, we say it all the time. But, like, why do we say it? I know, right? <laughs> so, like, why do we say it? Like, what does it mean? Like, do we understand what it means? Why do we say it at the end of our prayers? For some of us, I'd imagine that we might think it's maybe the most dispensable part of the prayer. Maybe the part that, like, trails off at the end and we don't pay much attention to it. Like, the sticker or badge we stick on the end of our prayer to make it... I don't know, maybe like in the back of our mind we think amen makes our prayer legit. Or worse, maybe we think it's like the thing we have to say at the end of our prayer for like God to hear it. Maybe we were taught or maybe we think in the back of our mind that amen is like the magic words that make our prayer like reach God. Like finally like amen is God's seal of approval on our prayer or something like that. And maybe if we've never thought that, I'd imagine there's some people who at least, like, caught that growing up or something or think that subconsciously. But I don't know about you, but I think there's, like, got to be something more to amen. Amen? amen. Like, there's got to be something more going on. You know, maybe you've always thought about all these things. Maybe they've been in the back of your mind. Maybe you've thought, like, huh, I don't know, like, why do we say amen? I'm not sure. It's just, like, what we do. Like, maybe you, like, started going to church, and you weren't, you're like, what's the deal with this amen thing? And then, like, eventually, you, like, hung out with us long enough, and you're like, oh, I just say amen. <laughs> so maybe it happened like that. Um, 
maybe all these like questions are new to you and you're like, I've never thought about any of those questions. I've just always said amen. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> maybe you're wondering, like, why are we talking about this today? And that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> you guys ask the best questions. <laughs> uh, I know, right? Um, we're actually finishing up a sermon series. We've been, through Lent, we've been traveling through um, a traditional form of a gathering prayer. So we're different, different sections of a like, traditional Christian gathering prayer that Christians pray um, daily and on Sundays. So we started off the first week, Hannah talked about the names that we call God. And what does it mean that we address God in certain ways? And what do those names of God mean? And how might they expand our picture of God and our picture of us? In our world, the uh, second week, Hannah walked us through what does it mean that we remember what God has done for us and then ask God to do it again. So what does it mean when we root our prayers in God's action? In God, you have done these things, so we ask you to do it again. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the third week, we talked about the bold ask. Say the bold ask. The bold ask, that's right. So that was basically where we said... We don't really understand exactly how prayer works. We know that sometimes it feels like it doesn't work in us. Sometimes we get the answers we want. Sometimes we don't. And prayer, like a lot of life, is messy and confusing. But we can ask God for things, so we do, even when we don't have it all figured out, because prayer makes us better. It makes us more loving. It makes us more compassionate. It opens us up, and so we do it, even when we don't have all the answers. Amen? Amen. So, and today, shocker, we're talking about how that traditional gathering prayer ends. And that traditional gathering prayer ends with amen. <laughs> and uh, like we talked about before, like so many things we say or do all the time in church or in life, I think sometimes over time, when we say things over and over again, sometimes it begins to lose its meaning or lose its power or loses any kind of significance if it had it in the first place. Like sometimes routine, there's nothing wrong with routine, but sometimes routine becomes rote, and we just walk through our day and we don't pay attention to it, when there might be something deeper going on underneath the surface. So I had this like sneaking suspicion that the same thing can be said about amen, that we like walk through our lives saying amen and don't give much thought to it, but I think, and if you stay with me, I think like there might be something here for us that might be powerful. So we're going to walk through this Revelation text a little bit that we talked about this morning and maybe try to reframe amen just a little bit. So you with me? Yeah. All right. So I think um, you might be asking, what exactly does this Revelation text we read earlier? And wasn't that reading amazing? That reading was so amazing. So... You might be thinking, what exactly does this Revelation text have to do with prayers and amens? And if you're asking that question, that was the same question I was asking when I was preparing my sermon this morning. Or, not this morning. <laughs> I swear I was not preparing this sermon this morning. I hope it's not that bad. <laughs> when I was preparing my sermon this week, <laughs> I was thinking that same thing. But then as I started to think about it, I started to think, sometimes that same familiarity we have with amen, where we're just familiar enough with it to not really know what exactly it means, is oftentimes the same familiarity we have with the Bible, 
and the same kind of familiarity we have sometimes, especially with the book of Revelation. Because Revelation is like, we know just enough about it to where we're like, oh, I don't want to think anymore about it. <laughs> right? Like, we, we, we know just enough about the Rev book of Revelation for it to be scary and for us to get like a fog when we think about it. I mean, I mean, think about our text this morning. I mean, let's be honest. At first read, like, I'm getting a little foggy and I'm wondering what in the world is going on and, like, what is the deal with this sort of soaring, cosmic, mysterious worship gathering with great multitudes and white robes and palm branches and salvation and thrones and angels and elders and living creatures, some sort of otherworldly worship. And it's familiar to me, but it seems a little, like, foggy. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. And then it continues. It says they're falling on their faces, and they're falling on their faces before a lamb. And at first glance, I'm like, that's really weird. Turn to your neighbor and say they, they fell down to a lamb. They fell down to a lamb. And then, like at the end of this, they say amen. So, all right, like amen, I'm glad we cleared that up. Like we can all go home now, right? Everything is clear as crystal. No. <laughs> it's not, right? And, but here's the thing. Even though I think both amen and our text are a little bit unclear, I have this feeling that if we dive a little bit deeper into the book of Revelation, that we might be able to see a little something bigger going on here than is at first glance. And that's the thing I've noticed with the book of Revelation is, and a lot of the Bible, honestly, um, real talk about the Bible for a second, like sometimes it can be really confusing and messy and like can make you mad and like confused. Like y'all ever had that experience with the Bible? Absolutely. Yeah, but, but in my experience, sometimes all it takes is going just a little bit underneath the surface to see like the context and the historical circumstances and some like broader themes here and all of a sudden the Bible like opens up and it becomes life-giving and beautiful to me. Have any of you had that experience too? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think the same is true with the book of Revelation. So check this out about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was originally written to a people who were being oppressed, who were being marginalized, who were under the boot of the Roman Empire, whose worlds were literally being destroyed, whose lives were literally being upended. It was literally the end of the world for these people who were first reading this Revelation text. Their temple had been destroyed, their way of worship and their way of life had come to an end, and they were facing immense persecution for living as Christians. They were living as outcasts and outsiders, under imperial power and unimaginable persecution. These folks who were living this book that we call Revelation, where the predominant message and vision was, might makes right, the strongest win in the end, Violence is the answer. Power is seen as domination. And Caesar was Lord. And Rome was king. And then this text breaks in with something completely different. This text, whose first readers were being persecuted, breaks in as some sort of liturgy of liberation. See, this book of Revelation was not just written in a different key than the song of Rome and the predominant themes of the day. But this was a whole different song. See, it was a whole different genre. It was powerful and political and prophetic. And it was an interruption to the world as it was. The book of Revelation in our text today bears witness to a totally different vision. A totally different world. A totally different way of living life. 
a whole different way of relating with people and power and everything in between. He turned everything upside down. And this is the snapshot of Revelation. And it centers, like we said, on a lamb. A lamb. And this was a counter to the predominant empire of the day that was centered around vengeful rulers and Caesars. And then all of a sudden it was this lamb, not a symbol of wealth or power or military might, but a lamb. So hold on, I think, because I think we've maybe become a little too familiar with this picture of the lamb or we've not sure exactly how much of a scandal it really was that a lamb is in the center of this cosmic worship. I mean, work with me here for a second. In our society, who do we imagine as the center of the world? And who does the world put in the center of devotion and admiration? People with lots of money, people with lots of influence, religious leaders, political leaders, people who fit in. Honestly, people who fit stereotypes like white, straight, cisgender, middle class, citizen. The world puts people with privilege and prestige in the center of their worldly worship. But in this passage, what does it mean that the Lamb is the center of this international and angelic admiration? And what does that have to do with our Amen? Well, beloved, this Lamb is Jesus. This Lamb is Jesus, the one who died rejected by the religious and political authorities outside of the city. This is Jesus, the Lamb, the rule-breaking, law-defying, liberating king, the dark-skinned Palestinian with nowhere to lay his head, the one who gave voice to the poor and oppressed and marginalized, the one who identified with those who had been kicked out and knocked down, the ones who pulled to the center those who were being knocked to the edges the one who spoke words of belonging to the ones who thought they could not ever belong. This Jesus, this is the lamb. The despised and rejected one is now the one who is the center of total praise. The one who is executed on a cross and who is those in charge sent to humiliating death is now the lamb at the center of this pan-national honor. So church, in God's world... In God's divine wisdom, when God is in charge, when God's love is all in all and the whole world is filled with the justice of God, who is going to be elevated to the place of highest honor but the one who is outside and on the edges, the one from outside the gates of the city, Jesus, the lamb, the outsider, is the center of everything. And you might be saying to yourself, now that's great, but what about the amen? But check this out. They say amen in the book of Revelation to this picture, to this vision of this outsider who's in the center of cosmic worship. So this amen that we see in Revelation is not just an offhanded amen that sort of is foggy and unclear, but in this passage, they are saying amen to that vision of Jesus, the Lamb, the outsider and the outcast as the center of everything. So this revelation, amen, is not an amen in a vacuum. It's not an empty word or a purposeless platitude. This is a loaded amen. 
You might say that this is an amen with legs and energy that confronted the prevailing narratives of the world filled with constant violence and bloodshed and persecution and an empire built on the strongest and powerful. And those folks in Revelation, those angels and those living creatures and all those martyrs were saying amen to a different kind of power, to a different kind of center, to a different kind of justice and another kind of vision with a different kind of creative imagination with the lamb at the center with the outcast, outsider, the one who predominant society names as unclean, undeserving, and undesirable at the very center. That's what they're saying amen to. That's what they're ascending to. That's what they're saying amen to. And who wouldn't want to say amen to that beautiful vision? Amen? amen. So actually, you could say, after all of this, that amen is, yeah, it's sim in some ways, it is saying yes. That amen is saying yes. But it's saying yes to something specific. It's saying yes with something in mind. It's saying yes with a context. It's saying yes with vision and with purpose. Amen is saying yes, but it's saying yes in the face of the world as it is. It's saying yes in the face of empire. It's saying yes in the face of power that puts people down. It's saying yes to a vision that is contrary to the one that puts us against them. It's saying yes in the face of violence. It's saying yes in the face of xenophobia and participating in something new. It's saying yes in the face of a world that says the biggest, strongest, and most well-connected, not the Lamb, are the ones that are the center of cosmic worship. And it's saying yes for God's dream for the world. Amen? It's saying yes to a Lamb-centered world, to an outcast, outsider-centered world. And it's saying yes to working to make that a reality. That's what our amens mean. Back in January, you might have noticed I was gone the month of January. I was spent most of the time in Washington State um, on retreat. But I also got to spend some time with a pastor out there. Who, he talked to us a lot about this image of the Lamb. And this vision of the Lamb that appears in Revelation and other places in Christian liturgy and, and scripture. And he encouraged us to think about the lamb as the outsider, as the scapegoat, as the outcast, who the world puts on the periphery. Think about the lamb as the one who the world pushes to the edges. And even imagine us to think about who that person is that we push to the edges in our communities, in our families, in our places of work, even in our churches. And he asked us to imagine what might happen if we brought this person on the outside to the center. What would happen if we lifted up this person? If we amplified their voice? If we met their needs and treated them as if they were most important? And imagine how that might begin to change us and even change the world if we brought those on the outside to the center. And Urban Village, I just want to say that I see you working to do that. But I just want to encourage you to keep doing it and doing it in your personal lives and doing it in your work because it's hard work but it's God's work so keep it up and I believe in you and I see it in you so saying amen is saying yes to asking those questions it's saying yes to imagining those things it's saying yes to the world that God is creating even now even in this place through us by the power of the Holy Spirit 
It's saying yes to this transformation that is even turning the world upside down this morning. This vision that even now in this place is changing us and changing the world. Little by little making us in this place more like the lamb-centered world that God made it to be. Amen might be the end of our prayers, but it's the beginning of the rest of our lives. So you could say that saying amen, even though it's the end of our prayers, is actually the beginning of our transformation. It's the beginning of our work. It's the beginning of our lives with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's not the end, but it's just the beginning. To asking hard questions, rearranging our priorities, taking the words we say and putting them into practice. It's diving into what God might have for us. And it's saying, I'm in to what God's doing here in our world. When we say amen, we're saying, I'm in. Amen is I'm in. Tweet that out. Amen, I'm in. Amen is I'm in. So when the prayers end, really the action is just getting started. So are you in? I'm in. Are you in? I'm in. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. <laughs>